Welcome to Homebase Hope, all about autism, the show that invites you to think differently, inspires you to take a whole child approach, and most of all, instills hope when it comes to your child and autism. I'm your host, Rhiannon Crisp, from homebasehope.com.au. Let's get into it. Hi guys, and welcome back. Today is going to be a really practical episode, and I know you are going to love it. Today we're talking all about resources. We are going to explore the most popular items to help your child get through the day and the night. And we're going to get a really good understanding of what resources are available for children on the spectrum. And we're going to cover everything from weighted blankets, calming sensory clothing, timers, fidget tools, and more. Today we're going to hear from the professionals in the industry. We're talking to Renee and Taryn. Renee is a speech pathologist and Taryn is an occupational therapist. These two ladies decided to join forces and start an online resource store for the people they had worked for for over a decade. Taryn and Renee have both worked extensively with children on the autism spectrum in lots of different settings, including special development schools. In 2011, they founded My Disability Australia, which is now one of Australia's most well-known online suppliers of toys and resources for people with different abilities. Welcome, ladies. Thank you, Rhiannon. Hi, everyone. Hello. (laughs) It's so lovely to have you ladies joining us on the show today. And um, firstly, I've got to say I love the name My Disability. (laughs) Did you guys come up with that? I haven't heard it before. Yeah, brainstorming a business name and you know we'd written down all of our you know sort of words that we thought might be good for a business and we said disability and we just said we we just don't sit well with that sort of term and we just thought about different abilities that's how we think about the families and the children that we work with so yeah we adopted that word and it's a word we're hearing going around a lot more now particularly in sort of ASD circles so it's nice that we were on board with it early. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love it. Now, let's start with your journey to my disability. So, Renee, you're a speechy, and Taryn, you're an occupational therapist. What made you guys sort of step out of that clinical role and provide an online resource store for people with um, disabilities or different abilities? Okay. Um, yeah, so we both still work clinically, actually. Yeah. Um, so, my diff was very much something that we started as a side project because we were working with families um, in sort of the private or not-for-profit sector with families with kids with um, ASD mostly and we were doing a lot of resource applications through funding and things like that and what we were really finding was that a lot of the services around um, were we felt overpriced um, and the service that we experienced wasn't always that great and so we thought for families who already have enough to worry about how are they going to be able to sort of negotiate working with these services. So we thought we'll have a go at doing it yeah. the way that we thought it would be. Yeah. We found that it was a lot of sort of um, very retail-driven, mm. these stores, and we don't want to be salesmen. We never have been. Um, and we wanted to provide the service to the families rather than be a retail store yeah. um, and provide the best prices in Australia but also advice as well. Mm-hmm. So one thing that we spend a lot of time doing is thinking about um, we know this resource is great but how can we share that information and make it really practical for families? So we do um, YouTube videos showing sort of how you use resources rather than just um, you know, this is a squishy ball and this is the size, it's like, well, here's who it might be useful for and here's how you might use it. That's awesome. And that's what we're going to dive into today as well. But I didn't know you had a YouTube channel, so I will have to check that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still being developed, but we're slowly, slowly putting up just little videos so people can see the resources because being online, you know, it's really hard for families to assess suitability. So, um, yeah, we're just doing as much as we can to try and make that an easier process for them. Mm, and, and I think particularly, too, for people who live um, out of it all. You know, I'm out in rural Australia, so if we can see something, um, you know, from therapists who are in the know and know how to use um, particular resources, I think it's really valuable before they log on to purchase something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. 
Cool. So before we dive into it, I think um, just for the listeners, it's important to mention that just like every strategy doesn't work for every child, not every resource is going to work for every child. But um, the purpose of today is to really explore different tools that may be useful and to get the best tips and tricks off the therapists who are in amongst it and in the know. Yeah. So I thought we might explore the resources by dividing them up into some practical strategies um, and into some categories. So let's start with self-regulation and anxiety because, um, you know, children on the spectrum will um, experience a lot of stress and anxiety throughout their day-to-day life um, and it can be really debilitating for children. It can stop them from participating in certain social activities or just disrupt the entire day. So let's start with anxiety and stress and, and self-regulation. What are the resources that kids and parents can use um, for this? Sure. So from an OT perspective, we get a lot of parents, and you would understand this too, asking you know for weighted blankets or weighted lap bags and things like that. Um, we certainly are still getting lots of positive feedback, and we like to sort of take experiential evidence from parents whether it's working or not so we always say to give it a go but it is one of our more popular items so we do um yeah we sell weighted lap bags and weighted blankets as well just to help sort of soothe and calm that sensory system it's like giving the whole body a massage um that helps to relax it if there's a lot else going on in the environment so we do have a few things that we can show you (laughs) this is one of our two kilo lap bags. Um, so it's filled with poly pellets. It's all machine washable. Uh, we try to make the colours specifically non-alerting colours. So we use calm colours like blues, dark purples, um, black blacks, yeah, things like that. We avoid the yellows, the reds and the oranges, which can be a bit more alerting. Um, we also have... I need to move back a bit. <laughs> weighted blanket, uh, which is definitely more of a resource for home. Uh, when we're talking about regulation, um, some children find it really, really effective. Some parents have heard about it and give it a go and just say it's an absolute miracle. Some children don't like it at all. So it's really about trial and error when it comes to weighted products and also safety to make sure that you're being guided by a therapist. Um, and if you can try one out before, that's also really great because they are a bit of um, a bit more pricey in terms of therapy resources. Can I just ask you, Taryn, um, in terms of the safety, what should parents be considering if they were thinking of purchasing a weighted blanket or a weighted tool? Sure. So the safety regulations are really around 10% of the child's body weight um, and also to definitely make sure they're able to manoeuvre the blanket on and off themselves. Um those are the main things. And that, that weighted blankets weren't actually designed for sleeping in. They're actually designed to be on the couch or be at home on the chair, but a lot of families are using them for sleep. So just to make sure that the child is able to shift it on and off themselves um, if they need to is really important. Excellent. Cool. Um, what else? What are, what are other... Um, self- oh, yeah, we've got this... Uh, it's called a move and fit wedge, but it's really commonly referred to as the blue wedge around most schools, certainly here in Victoria, um, or the, the OT cushion as well. Uh, so you can see it's an angled wedge. It really helps with posture. You sit on it. It's also got a tactile bumpy surface um, and really movable. So you can use it on a chair or on the floor at school or at home, and it's used to support help support postural stability, which we know when we've got good posture, we've got good attention and concentration. Um, It can also, posture just goes hand in hand, handwriting and focus and being alert. So this is a really nice resource. It comes in a junior size and an adult size. Um, Also comes in different colours now too. So we find these very, very popular. It's probably one of our most popular resources, definitely, yeah. Right. So if children were having anxiety at school or something, is that what you're suggesting, that they use that when they're sitting down doing their work? Um, When it comes to anxiety, we'd probably look at a few different things, not just the external sensory sort of sensory resources. We'd look at having things structured within the classroom and providing visuals and timers and um, understanding the expectations throughout the day as well. That's what we find 
feeds into anxiety the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the cushion is more for a self-regulation tool. Yes. Okay. One of the other resources that um, that we stock is a range of um, clothing called Calming Clothing, and we sort of partnered with this lovely lady who makes them, who used to be in sort of um, dance clothing years ago, and she's made this amazing range of um, clothing, so it's um, tights, shorts, singlets, tees, long tees, and the idea is that um, the clothing is meant to sort of look like a regular piece of um, clothing, so it doesn't look like the the really um, sort of bulky weighted vests that we used to see when I started practicing, um, although they still have a place, of course, um, for some kids. But a lot of the kids we work with, um, it's anxiety-provoking in itself to wear something that makes them look different. So that's what we really like about this clothing. They're able to wear something that looks like just an ordinary tee or a singlet and they can wear it under their school top if they want. Um, But it's designed to give them that um, deep pressure input, which is um, really calming, and they can wear it throughout the day. So we have a lot of kids who, um, as I said, wear it under their school uniform, um, and it gives them that deep pressure, which helps um, some kids, of course not all, uh, reduce their anxiety and assist with self-regulation throughout the day. Mm, excellent. What do you, do yeah. you have any recommendations? I know some therapists will say um, you should only wear it for a certain period of time, otherwise it's not as effective if you're wearing it all day. Yeah, so I know that – well, actually, Tara probably okay. better to talk about that. So, um, yeah, I know that that was certainly the case with, I guess, when OT and I used to work with made recommendations about, around wearing the weighted blankets and things like that. From the feedback that I've had about the, the calming clothing – um, it seems to be that wearing it all day is fine and it's sort of like it's just giving the kids a hug. Um, yeah. And non-restrictive as well, which I think is very important in terms of the regulations of how long to have it on or off. Mm-hmm. And we usually say just be guided by the child um, mm-hmm. that in terms of safety or anything like that. These clothing yeah, are considered non-restrictive, so mm-hmm. whatever works for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is sort of helpful for the kids who are um, putting their little sister's um, ballet um, stockings on and um, trying to wear multiple pairs of socks and those sorts of things. So they're seeking out that input and sort of trying to wear them under their clothes to go to school anyway. So um, that's the type of kit that those clothes can be really helpful for. And so what will you see like in terms of self-regulation? Can you give us an example of how that might help a child practically? Like can you give us a something that we can visualise? Yeah, so we get lots of feedback from families with regards to the calming clothing in particular, that they're just able to transition throughout the day a little easier um, without as much sort of worrying about what's coming next. They're able to stay more attentive during mat time or group time at school or kinder, as well as being able to sit um, at the table for a bit longer too. So just a general sort of um, more calmness is what they're seeing throughout the day. It's not a miracle. You don't put it on and then they change to a completely new child. That's not what we want. <laughs> people to expect but there have certainly been noticeable changes or feedback that we're getting from families about this clothing Mm. um and about the children just seeming a little less worried about their external environments Mm. and then of course we have feedback as well which is about um children whose communication skills seem better and social skills seem better and um we know that the clothing itself is not necessarily you know helping them to speak but it's that reduction in anxiety and and the um increased self-regulation that um sort of makes it um easier for kids to um use the skills so exactly it provides a bit of a flow-on effect doesn't it obviously if the child is calm they can um access those higher level learning experiences yeah. yeah, it's the same for any of us. You know, if you have a car accident and you're uh, really alert after it, it's sort of hard for you to sit down and have a, a, a job interview or something. So it's sort of the same um, idea. Yeah. Cool. Was there any any other resources under sort of that self regulation and anxiety category before we move on? Yeah, we have a range of resources that vibrate as well. So vibrating pillows, little vibrating. Um, keychains and fidgets and things too, and we find those can be really calming too for the children. Um, it sort of helps. It's that same theory about getting that depression, the muscles and tendons and joints 
sort of relax. Um, again, like that internal massage. So uh, works for some children, others can't stand it. So really is hit and miss, but we do find it probably our second most popular resource. It's one of our vibrating pillows that we have. So they can sit on it and it provides that um, sensory feedback throughout their muscles and joints while they're sitting at school or at home for a meal. Um, which is just a big, a big family goal usually is to get children to sit at the table to have some food. Um, but we do use some vibration resources too. And one of the things just on the vibrating cushions is sometimes we get feedback that the noise is a bit too much for particular situations in the classroom. So it's just a little heads up. It's, um, it's not silent. It does get the vibrating resource. So what we usually recommend is um, we still consider it a suitable resource for the classroom because particularly that's a time when a lot of the kids we work with can be really stressed out. But just um, talking to teachers about when might be a time that he could use it when um, it's not sort of silent in the classroom so that um, he can get that input um, throughout the day that's hopefully going to help him with regulating. Yeah. There's also another resource that we definitely mentioned within this regulation category to help with attention and concentration and participation is the bloom stool. Um, and it's kind of referred to as a wobble stool. So it's for the classroom or for home, um, and it's just a stool that has a curved bottom. So the child can sort of rock on the chair and move and get that constant movement throughout the day at school, and we find those are really effective, and it's becoming really popular in mainstream schools and special schools. Um, libraries use them a lot, which is interesting because it's supposed to be a quiet, calm place. So we see them in a lot of school libraries, and we're trying to encourage them to bring it into the classrooms too. Yeah, that's interesting they're used in the library and I suppose because it is a place where kids are meant to stop and sit still and it, it becomes harder to control that and self-regulate when when all you want to do is move. So I think it's great being able to provide kids with that sense of movement without them having to run around the library to get it. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's transition into transitions and organisational skills. What are some resources here? Because this can be extremely difficult for kids on the spectrum, transitioning from one activity to the other or um, one part of the day to the other. What what are some resources for transitions? Yeah, sure. So we'll show you one of our most favourite resources for transition. And I guess I just want to say as well that there is an overlap with sort of resources that support kids with anxiety, um, transitions and communication because it is all sort of linked. So if we can help kids to um, have uh, structure and predictability um, in and routine in their day, it, we see that overall effect again of their karma, there's less anxiety and that sort of thing. So um, one of our favourite resources for transitions is the Time Timer um, uh, resource. So... Um, there's a lot of different sort of sizes, but um, mm-hmm. this is the oh yeah. Karen can take the small one there. Yeah, so um, the time timer um, clocks are a way of representing a really abstract concept of time to kids in a visual way, and we know that um, visual. Um, learning is a strength for many kids that we work with on the spectrum. So it's utilising that strength to help them with an area that they have um, more difficulty with. So what you do with the uh, timer is you um, move the um, (laughs) dial (laughs) to to set the time. So you see there I've set it for um, half an hour. So... um, you can set it for whatever time up to 60 minutes. And then what will happen is as the time um, ticks down, the red um, portion of the timer will decrease um, up until it gets to the end and um, it will it can make an audible sound. But if kids don't like that, you can turn it off as well. Um, so you can see that it's a really clear way of showing kids how much time is left. So rather than saying um, we're finishing soon or... Um, we're going in five minutes or we're going to do that later, um, you can actually show them what those concepts mean. So um, it's helping provide that structure in a, in a visual way. Um, you can use this for um, transitions in many ways. So um, it's about helping, for example, kids to finish an activity. So one of the big things that families can probably relate to is iPad. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that yeah. Really <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, you know, iPad 
time is really motivating for a lot of kids Mm -hmm. um, and it can be really hard to move kids off the iPad, particularly if it's something like uh, to a less preferred activity like um, getting ready for school or having dinner. So um, one way you can use the time timer is to show that um, you've got 10 minutes left on the iPad. So it's um, helping the kids to prepare themselves. Um, they can refer to this so that they know um, when the time's up. And what I find some kids, some kids really respond well in that it's sort of like, oh, well, the time's up, so now I have to finish. And it sort of takes the pressure off the parents a little bit because it's, like, it's a bit more concrete. Um, some children really like the competitiveness of it as well. <laughs> oh, well, let's get this, you know, this work done. Or let's finish your reader or let's get dressed before the time is up. And they really enjoy that sort of competitive side of yeah. it too, which can work well. Yeah. yeah the timers other- are a great yeah. idea. I'm just going to say for the listeners who are listening via audio on iTunes, um, make sure you check out the YouTube channel because um, the ladies are going, they've, they've got the resources in um, with them and we're going through them and you can actually see what they're talking about. So jump on to the Homebase Hope YouTube channel. Yeah. Also about these timers, they are a specialty resource made in the US um, and there's a, a large range of them that we stole. There we go. Um, Time's up. <laughs> we stole quite a few different, but they come in different sizes. So there's, you know, the smaller size, uh, which is really good for like a school table for an individual child. There's a medium size, which is usually good for home. There's an even bigger one than this for the classrooms at school. Um, there's one now with a handle and a protective case on it, which is really good too. Uh, we also have the same version in a watch for individual children so they can sort of keep on track with their transitions throughout the day at school or other home routines as well. So does the um, child, do you usually get the child to set the watch or um, a teacher setting the watch or how does that work? It would depend on the the child, yeah. Yeah. So obviously with everything that we're doing, we're going to be working towards helping the child to be as independent as they can, but some children will need different levels of support and that may may or may not change over time. So um, the goal is that we're helping them to be independent um, and some children certainly can do that, but they still benefit from having that that structure. Um, So we had an example of a family who asked us recently about um, using the time timer watch to go off every 50 seconds to remind their daughter to swallow while she's eating during mealtimes. That was a recommendation from their speechy. So they can be used in quite creative ways. Wow. Um, yeah, and for that child, the mum was setting the timer, but then it would go off and vibrate on her hand every 50 seconds, and the idea is that she's hopefully learning to independently recognize that prompt which reminds her to do so so can you preset it so it set it, it rings every 50 seconds you don't actually have to manually do it every 50 because seconds watch it are digital okay that's a yeah so these ones you can't you would have to manually reset it each time but with the watches yeah there is that function because they are a digital excellent reset. excellent yeah yeah um, just one more point on the time timer because I'm so passionate about them um, is that as well as helping kids to know how much time is left um, because it's time to finish, you can also use it to help extend time on task. So a lot of kids um, will need um, support to develop the amount of time they'll spend on a task, like, for example, sitting at the table and doing a piece of work, sitting at the dinner table, brushing their teeth. So what you can do is, um, is, again, show it visually. So you might start with just a small goal of we're going to brush our teeth for, um, you know, 30 seconds or a minute, and then you can slowly build that time up. So, again, it's helping the child to understand um, how much time is required for that task and then moving towards independence with it. Excellent. Awesome. So that's one of our favourites for, for – anxiety, transitions, communication, all sorts of things. Everything across the board, isn't it? And, and like yeah. you said, all of these resources can be used in different um, areas in day-to-day life. Absolutely. We think about resources a lot um, in connection to what we do as adults every day. You know, we wear watches and we have to sort of stay on time and stay on track. And if I would left my watch at home one day, I'd feel quite anxious not knowing what's coming up next. I'd be checking the time. So, how to incorporate those sorts of strategies for the children who don't have those skills yet is really important. Excellent. What else do we have for transition and organisational skills? 
Yeah, so um, one of the other areas, and I guess it also falls under communication, um, is the idea of using an activity planner or schedule board um, to help the time has just gone off, uh, to help children see what's happening throughout the day. So we've got quite a number of different um, schedule boards. I don't have any to show you today, but we've got a range that was developed by a couple of OTs um, and they've developed a daily schedule, a weekly schedule, and also um, a schedule for uh, task that's for teaching toileting. Um, so... That's basically a chart that will have um, magnetic uh, pictures to represent what's happening that day and um, the parent and hopefully with the child will set up the daily schedule or the weekly schedule showing um, exactly using pictures what's happening throughout the day or throughout the week so that the child's able to predict when something's going to happen. Yeah, we um, also find that the children can manage these themselves sometimes. So setting up their own schedule in the morning at school is also so helpful because they know what to prepare for and expect for throughout the rest of the day. Um, so that's a really big thing at school and at home too. A morning routine and an after-school routine also is really important for them to know what to do, what's coming next, and again, building towards independence, like Renee said. Mm. Yeah, and it doesn't always have to be sort of a, a fancy um, commercial resource like that you can – even just, you know, writing down the schedule or drawing a couple of pictures if you don't have something available is a strategy we use frequently with kids because, again, it's about that structure and routine and making things visual. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I think that's so important and something that, um, yeah, I think is quite widely known now and a lot of kids and parents are using visuals and schedules to keep them on track. Yeah, Again, going back to the idea of what we use as adults, it's the same as having a diary or the same as having a yeah. calendar. So it makes sense that we would set up those sorts of um, uh, supports for these kids as well. Mm-hmm. Were there any other resources you wanted to cover under this sort of category of transition and organisation? They were the main ones. Excellent. Timers and visuals. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Timers and visuals um, to help ease those transitions. Alrighty, so social skills and communication, let's dive into that. Yep, okay, sure. So one of the things I had done to communication was the idea of the, the planners and the schedule boards. So again, it's one of those resources that goes across categories. So um, it, it's really a strategy that we would use to help kids with receptive communication, but also, interestingly, it can be helpful for them with their expressive communication. So just to give an example, I had a um, little boy I was working with once um, who had a daily schedule set up. Um, he was nonverbal um, and had autism, and um, his parents used to put up the pictures to show him what was happening, and one day he went and got out the park picture and put it onto the schedule, and it was sort of one of the first um, times that he'd like more formally um, communicated that he wanted to go to the park. Um, so, you know, that became something that was an ex- receptive um, strategy initially then turned into an expressive strategy. So, yeah, I think that, you know, the idea of using the planners and the schedule boards is, is really important for communication, um, particularly when you've got those, well, every child, but particularly when you've got kids who you can't just say, oh, we're going to the park later um, because they don't, they don't have that level of receptive understanding. So um, that's a really nice strategy for communication as well. Yeah, that's lovely. That's great, isn't it? Because um, you wouldn't you wouldn't sort of use it for that strategy, but the fact that he's gone out and, and done that, that's great. Yeah, and that's just come through his parents being really consistent in modelling it. And then over time he's um, linked the meaning and then he's been able to use it himself. So um, that was a nice added bonus. Um In terms of um, other communication um, resources, so for me, I really like um, just the simple resources that we have that are called like more of the people games and people toys. So things like spinning tops or the balloon game that are those inexpensive, they're not specialty resources, but um, they're toys that need another person to operate them usually. So they're really nice to encourage communication, particularly with kids who are sort of early communicators because they're really motivated by something like the spinning top um, because they like to see things spin, but they need someone else to operate 
that toy for them. So it can be an activity that a parent or a therapist or a teacher can do um, with the child to work on some of those um, early communication skills. So it doesn't always have to be something super um, expensive or fancy. Some of those no. simple things. Could you show, could tell us how that might look? If it w- is it something that you would leave on the table for the child to come up to request um, that they need help for it, or, or what might it look like just for the parents who are listening in? <coughs> yeah, so um, there would be a lot of pausing, um, expectant pausing. So. You're sort of showing how a, t- a toy works and seeing if the child's interested, so you're getting their um, interest. And you've, you're also thinking about the types of things you know the child enjoys. So, for example, the balloon game is quite noisy. When you let off the balloon, it sort of goes around the room. And some kids are basically going to hate that. So you want to sort of think about what motivates the child um, because that is what the, um, uh, is the foundation for communication, is motivation. So... Um, if you've got a child who likes spinning things and lights, whatever, you might select a, a toy uh, top because you know that that's something they're interested in. So you're playing that with them and then um, after some time they've sort of got the idea, you might just pause and see what happens. Um, and that's a way that then they can be, like you said, um, asking for help or trying to get more and we can work on yeah. early communication that like way. with the balloon game, we'll sort of wait sometimes for the child to go and collect the balloon from the room and bring it back to us. And that's their communication or do it again. Um, and we'll follow those sorts of leads, which is really important. So you can use really simple, um, yeah, little items like Renee said at home just to get that engagement happening back and forth, which is a really nice form of communication. Mm. And I think it's important what you said. It, it can either be non-verbal communication, like walking up to grab the balloon that you've left on the table and bringing it to you, or it can be verbal in terms of asking for more or help or, or whatever yeah. that word is that you're trying to um, to get get your child to say. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, for social skills, um, one of the ones that we like best um, is there is some – there's a couple of um, sets of books now, but this is one of them um, that's from Free Spirit um, Publishing. Let's bring that in there. So this one's called Share and Take Turns, um, and it's from a series of 15 books um, that's called Learning to Get Along series. Um, and each book is sort of like a very child-friendly social story that's written around a particular um, social skill. So this one is about sharing and taking turns, obviously. There's other titles like... Um, Cool down and work through anger. Um, try and stick with it. So it's all about resilience. Um, join in and play. Um, and each uh, story is again just very um, kid friendly. So it will um, talk about um, a group of kids and how they're um, sharing and taking turns. And then after you've read the story, um, the back of the book has. Um, some ways to reinforce the skills. So I think that's really nice for families but also for, um, you know, teachers, um, for example, because what we know is we can't just read the story and then expect the child to transfer, generalise those skills. Um, we need to be then working on them in, um, you know, te- incidentally and in teachable moments. So um, there's some ideas about how you can reinforce it. And then there are some also some sharing games at the end. So, um, yeah, we really love uh, these books in terms of um, teaching uh, social skills. Mm. Yeah. Mm, I've awesome. got a few of those too that I love. They are great. <laughs> they are great. Yeah. And, and kids really like them and they like the pictures in them too, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and it gets them thinking. And sometimes I can use it sort of um, like as a calm down tool. So sort of once the child has started to calm down after a meltdown or something, we'll sort of just revisit it and we'll just talk through um, the book, and we're not actually talking about their situation. It, it's sort of, um, yeah, talking about something in a book, so it's not so close to home, and um, they're not as anxious um, talking about it. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Another resource that um, we use or we recommend a lot for social skills is when we're looking at sharing, taking turns, winning and losing, waiting. So we've got a lot of um, turn-taking games. 
uh, whether it's um, Zingo, which is a type of bingo game. So we're looking at lots of games that you have to wait for your turn, you have to know whose turn is next, and you have to deal with either winning or losing. So we use, uh, encourage use of a lot of those games to practice social skills too with a sibling or with a parent. Um, and the games, I guess, are selected um, because we're starting with thinking about the types of kids we work with and what are they motivated by um, because we really want them to first be interested in what we're doing and then it's much easier to get them engaged and, and learning. Um, so, for example, um, we have a lot of the uh, Orchard Toys mm. games. This one is very um, battered because this is one of my clinic resources. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> but, you know, it's called Greedy Gorilla and you've got this um, gorilla and uh, you're selecting cards and you might find junk food and then... If you find the junk food, you feed it to the gorilla and he makes a burping noise. And so that's really motivating for kids that like gross things, and, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or like the sounds. So it's sort of half the battle is finding something that's motivating um, and then it's much easier if you can do that. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Does that sort of cover the social skills and communication? Yeah, the only other one quickly would just be the Model Me Kids resources, which are really um, successful for a lot of kids with ASD. So that's a series of um, DVDs that are um, video modelling resources. So video modelling is a strategy that we know works well for a lot of um, uh, people with autism. Um, And the idea is that they watch a video um, of, say, children um, doing a particular skill and there might be a child narrating it over, uh, narrating over the top, so they're able to uh, to see that skill. It's taught really explicitly, and then um, they can practice it themselves. So, yeah, it's something that works really well yeah. for a lot of the kids we work with. And that series comes in an older series and a younger series too. So it's got um, any skills from uh, lining up at school to getting ready to go on a play date, all the way up to conflict resolution and uh, conversation cues and managing bullying. So it goes all the way through. And now even job skills. Job skills, yeah. So for adults, yeah. Right. Um, so Very comprehensive. Nice. Awesome. All righty, let's, let's get stuck into um, sensory tools. So um, maybe for the sensory seekers and the fidgeters, what, what sort of tools do we have for them? Um, look, we do have a, a whole page on our website called Sensory. And you can, we've split it up into the different sensory systems, so whether or not they are a tactile fidgeter, which means they like to use their hands a lot, whether they're an oral motor seeker, which means they like to chew or use their mouth. So we've split that up on the website for families and um, service providers and schools. When it comes to fidgets, um, as an OT, you would know this too, it's, it's really personal choices. So I will often say to the parents, if you can, jump online and have a look with your child what they might like to try. I bought one or two of my favourite things today. Again, they're really well-loved, so <laughs> not looking brand new. Um, but one of my favourites is the mouth and cheese block. I don't know if you've seen this before. It's actually a fine motor tool, um, and I use it a lot for developing hand strength and bilateral coordination using two hands. But it's got little mice hidden inside. Oh, no, I, ha- I haven't seen it. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's got two little mice hidden inside, so it's nice. Um, it's soft and it's, you know, reusable, obviously. Uh, we always aim to find silent fidgets. That's one of our main goals when it comes to sourcing fidgets is that they are silent, quiet, um, and not too distracting, and often we look for pocket-sized small fidgets. So this is one of mine. Um this is also one of my favourite fidgets. It's uh, not so silent, but could be good for the car. It just does a really soft clicking noise, but you can sort of fold it and bend it however you like. What's that um, one called? Snake pattern clicking block. I'll have a look. Oh, that's all right. That's <laughs> all right. We have to be very creative with our uh, <laughs> name. Um, but, yeah, so this is what, and, again, it folds up really small and it goes back into, like, a little square or a little cube and you can put it back in your pocket if you want. Okay. Uh, this is some of mine. Yeah, and I think, like you said, with the um, the tools, a lot a lot of the time teachers say, you know, fidgets are great, but it distracts everyone in the classroom or every kid wants whatever they're having. Um, right. Yeah, which can make it really difficult. My favourite response to that sort of comment is, 
have a little, you know, tub full of paper clips, rubber bands, digits, whatever you need, and you offer it to the kids in the class, and everyone will probably take one the first time. And then after the second time you offer it, maybe half the class will take it. By the second, you've only got three or four kids who really need that fidget tool, and they're the ones taking it out of the box that day. So that's one of my favorite responses. Just give it a go. And when you are using fidgets, particularly at school, um, you know, we try and provide those low-cost sort of fidgets, but that are durable. Um, but fidgets, they get lost or they get used really, really well. Uh, so they're not – we're trying to keep those costs down and find things that are entertaining for the children, but it's – just whatever suits each individual yeah yeah that's right and I think like what you said it can be as simple as a paper clip it can be as simple I use um blue tack a lot of the time because um the teachers were saying oh everyone wants this fidget toy because they started being silly with it and um I said look get something really boring you know like blue tack not every child's going to put their hand up and say I want some blue tack you know just it can be simple yeah if if the class is finding a certain fidget tool distracting Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Blue tack's a good one because you can stick it up on the board and the child can go and grab it and then go sit down on the carpet and get ready to listen and learn, definitely. Cool. Um, what about oral motor tools, oral tools? What have we got under that category? Because there's a lot of kids who will be chomping on um, pencils, they'll be biting their T-shirt, um, and it can be, yeah, really distracting. Yeah. Um, and we want to provide something a bit more appropriate. Yeah, we have a lot of parents who are just sort of, going a bit crazy because they have to buy a new drink bottle every week because the kids are chewing through the drink bottles or chewing through a school shirt. That's really common. So, again, we have a large oral motor section on the website, uh, which ranges from resources, um, uh, pencil toppers. So they're little chewy tubes that go on the end of a pencil, gives them the opportunity to chew on the tube, not the pencil. Um, They come in different strengths as well. So some are softer chewers and some are more... Um, vigilant chewers. Mm. Uh, we also and have, some of just on the yeah. note that I was talking about before, some of the pencil toppers we have now have really been made to sort of look cool because, yeah. you know, you can see a pencil topper on the end of a pencil and a lot of kids, again, with the issue with the clothes, they feel a little bit um, self-conscious. self-conscious. Mm. So, um, for example, now there's a pencil topper that looks like a lightsaber and there's one that looks like a diamond. So it makes the pencil kind of look decor- decorated rather than something that's for a child, you know, who sees himself yeah. as different. Um, and it's often now something that the other kids want as well because it's, yeah, it's right. a little bit novel. So um, that's been a nice change we've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. So we have that range of pencil toppers. And also, like Renee said, that sort of um, cool-looking uh, pendants and necklaces that the children can also use to chew on. And they come in like robots or shark teeth or skulls or, you know, owls, really kind of cool stuff. Um, So it's a lot more uh, socially appropriate these days. And, again, they come in different chewing strengths depending on how tough the chewer is. Yeah. So we have necklaces, we have pencil toppers, we have bangles. Um, And it's really important to also advise that there are a lot of chewing resources out there just in general, like teething resources and mums and baby resources. These ones are really specially made and specifically made for children with autism mm. um, with really special guidelines around them and safety things as well around the neck so there's not a choking hazard. So our range has all of that. Excellent. Awesome. Let's get into gross motor skills um, because we're starting to run out of time and I know you ladies are super busy. So um, let's head to gross motor skills. What are some resources to develop those skills in kids? Um, so when we're talking about gross motor skills, I mean, ideally as an OT, I want to say go out to the playground, go to the local park, you know, use what you've got at home or in the garden. That would be my first advice. But um, in terms of resources, when we talk about gross motor, from my perspective, I'm really looking at posture and things when you're sitting down to be able to listen and learn or work and eat. Um, also being able to be safe. So some children have difficulties with body awareness and they're tripping over or appearing clumsy a lot of the time. So one of my favourite resources is definitely uh, something called the peanut ball and that's actually a – it's like one of those big physio exercise balls but it's in the shape of a peanut and they can use it to sit at the table or sit and watch TV and it just helps them develop that sort of core stability to help with their posture and that gross motor stability. Mm. Yeah. We do have a gross motor section set up yeah. on the website as well so we've got all sorts of things like – 
um, tunnels and balance beams yeah. and balls um, and bean bags and target practice yeah. and throwing and catching. We've got lots and lots of resources. Yeah. Um, and we do find that children who have difficulties with gross motor skills often shy away from that as well. So they may not want to go and play on the playground as much, or they want to just stay on the swing um, and do something a little less risky in terms of falling over or finding it really difficult. So start small and start with um, activities that are achievable and you're setting them up for success when it comes to those sorts of gross motor skills. A lot of children um, will have difficulty throwing and catching a ball, and they know that they do because at school they see their friends doing it. So start with things that are yeah achievable and um, easy for them to do and yeah just yeah. encourage them to give it a go and try their best really so any of the resources on the site are great like Renee said the balance beams and tunnels and bean bags and throwing and catching practice awesome great let's head to our final um, sort of category which is handwriting and fine motor because yes. this can be a big issue particularly at school and like you said it can cause issues with anxiety and stress and it will affect um, different areas of their life but, um, yeah, what resources and tools do we have for handwriting and fine motor? Yeah. Um, so one of the first things I do when someone says, can you come have a look at this child's handwriting? Is you see me sort of bending over and looking at their feet on the ground or are they sitting on their chair properly? I'm looking at their posture first. So we first want to make sure that their table is the right height and their seat is positioned nicely. But when it comes to fine motor resources, we have a, a huge range of different types of pencil grips. So it really depends on how the child is holding their pencil to what sort of grip they might need to use. Um, so I've brought a few, again, very well loved, well used from my own little kit. Um, we've got, this is called a jumbo grip. Um, this is usually used for kinder to prep size children, prep age children, and it's really to help encourage them to open up, I'm going to put a pencil in here, to open up that really important web space there. So it's got a big bulb on the end. If they're holding it tight like this, they're not going to get the movement out of the pencil that they need. So we've got the jumbo grip. It also comes in a smaller version as well when they're ready to transition away from the big grip. We have something called the crossover grip. So this sort of has a little hood over the top of it, um, and it's to help naughty people like me who hold their pen like this, a big crossover thumb wrap. So... The idea is you put a finger and a thumb underneath the grip and it stops you from doing that naughty crossover pencil grip. Is that something you use, Taryn? Um, <laughs> something that they attempted when I was at school a few times. Uh, but, yeah, so, you know, we do, we try it, and the kids point out my pencil grip to me and they say, oh, you're holding it the wrong way too, and I have to sort of, you know, change my grip. So um, this is a really effective one, a really, really popular one at school that um, you don't find in mainstream stores. We still find a lot of teachers and families using um, the triangle grips um, or the little three tripod finger grips. We don't sell those ones, but sell more specialty like these ones, which we find really effective. Um, there's also this one here called a writing claw. So it's got three little holes in it there, and you put your thumb, your finger, and it just shows exactly how to position the finger into that lovely tripod grip. So we've got quite a few pencil grips, and we have tried to um, make videos on most of them so you can see what they're used for, how they're used, um, and how it can help encourage the correct pencil grip or a more efficient pencil grip, definitely. Uh, we also have this called the Twist and Write Pencil. I don't know if you've seen these before, but um, certainly one of my favourites and definitely... Um, in schools, they love these when they see that they exist. So we call it, it's called a twist and write pencil, but I refer to it as a rocket pencil because it sort of looks like a rocket. So you put your index finger through the middle and you hold onto the sides and it just gives that beautiful tripod grip again, the three fingers. It's got a retractable pencil as well and it's refillable lead. So they're just really great all around these pencils. Yeah. Yeah, great. No, I haven't used those ones. Yeah, they're great. They're really, really good. Um, they come in all different colours too, not just purple, so black and blue and grey. Um, and then probably, again, we've got so many fine motor resources and I could talk for hours about fine motor as an OT, <laughs> but one of my other favourite ones is the rainbow paper. I don't know if you've seen this before, um, but it's got three different colour lines, blue, green and brown, and it's to represent where to place letters along the line. So the blue, we talk about the sky being at the top, 
the green is the grass at the bottom, and if you dig underneath the grass, you've got brown dirt. So children can understand that the letter G will have its you know, body in the grass and its tail digs under the dirt. It really helps with letter placement. Um, they also learn that all capital letters go in the sky and the grass. There's no exceptions. They're all in the sky and the grass. That helps them to learn about neater handwriting and how to place and organise their work. It does come in different sizes too. So this one is a 24mm line, probably for prep age, up to grade one, but you start to transition then to the next stage, which is a bit smaller, 18mm. So it just helps with size of writing, placement of words, size of letters. It's all around a really good resource. So this is a tear-off pad. You can use individual sheets of paper, but it also comes in an exercise book too. Awesome. Yeah, great. I think that's a really great visual. And particularly because um, children on the spectrum uh, prefer visuals and they, you know, it, that helps them a lot more with their thinking. Um, it's a really great resource. Were there any other resources you wanted to touch on or um, explain before we head to our five rapid fire questions? There's mm. one. Sorry, yes. Um, therapy, therapy party. So this comes, if you're an OT, you've come across this before. Um, it's, it's just a type of putty. It comes in different strengths, so soft, medium, firm, depending on the age of the child or their skill level. Um, the different strengths come in different colours. So this orange one here is sort of a soft one. The green one is a firm one. Um, and I use it instead of Play-Doh because Play-Doh smells and <laughs> it sticks to everything. Um, but ter- uh, therapy basically you can stretch it, pull it. It doesn't stick to really anything. And I use it to hide little tiny beads or treasures so the children have to get out with their fingers and find all the little things hidden inside there. Um, we can just use it as a hand warm-up, or some children use it as just a fidget, a tiny little ball, and it's their fidget for the day. So I like it because it's really durable. You know, one of these, these are from my personal therapy stash. They'll last, I've had this for five years. It doesn't discolor, it doesn't collect dirt. Um, I always say sort of the only way to dis- destroy it is to lose it, really. Yeah, wow. So really nice and reusable instead of Play-Doh. Yeah, great alternative. Uh, yeah. No? Okay. Yeah, we love putty. (laughs) Awesome. Well, let's head to the five rapid-fire questions now, ladies. So what is one habit parents can implement today? Um, So from my perspective, I would just say going back to what I was talking about before about structure and routine, so trying to have um, as much um, structure and predictability in the the day as possible um, and then – trying to think about how you could represent that visually as well. Yeah. Mine would be one habit that they can implement is to ask direct questions or give direct instructions to the children. So instead of, can you sit down, say, sit down now, because we'll often get a response like, can you write your name? Yes. Write your name. And then they're either, can you sit down? Yes. But I'm choosing not to. So being really direct and instructional with your um yeah, with your request to them and don't feel like you're being mean. Um, it's just it's actually helping them. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So what do people never ask you that you wish they did? Uh, for me, I would really like parents to know that I would prefer that they told me that they, if the therapy intervention is not working instead of pretending that it is trying to please me each time I see them. So I'd really rather them say, you know, We've tried this and I don't think it's working well instead of them trying to, yeah, please me and say, oh, yeah, it's going well. So that would be my one thing I wish parents would talk to me about. I agree. (laughs) I think that's really important too. I think that's really important. Um, And and too, sort of advocating for the child, you know, what what is working and what's not working so they can achieve the goals that they've set out to achieve. Um, What is one book that you would recommend all parents read? Yeah, so we both chose the same book also, which is The Beginner's Guide to um, Autism Spectrum Disorders, and it's by a paediatrician from New Zealand called Paul Taylor. Um, We went to the New Zealand sort of autism conference a few years ago, and he presented, and he was just so awesome. We could listen to him all day. Um, He was very practical and down-to-earth, and 
um, we really liked the way he talked about autism, so he gave the, um, the idea of talking about it as different operating systems. So it's like you've got, um, you know, iOS and A Mac system or a PC and, system. Yeah, so they're both good, but they sort of operate differently and they do some of the same things, but they might do some things different as well. Yeah. Um, so it's a really good book for families who are getting their own heads around the diagnosis trying to explain it to teachers um, or disclosing at school and also for talking about it with their own children when they're yeah. talking about the diagnosis yeah. at whatever point they decide yeah. to do that. Um, so, yeah, we love that. I like it because it's not a lengthy book either. You can get through it in a day if you want to. Yeah. yeah, it's a really nice, quick, easy, a simple reference. Yeah. I think that's important for all the busy parents out there. <laughs> um, so many things on the to-do list. Books often are the last thing that come um, to mind when we've got all our different things that we have to get through. Now, what is one of your top three unfinished bucket list items? Uh, yeah, so again, it was the same for both of us. We've always wanted to run um, some sort of conference or expo where we can bring together um, people that we've met throughout our careers that we think would be great speakers. Um, so some of the families that we've worked with, some people people on the spectrum themselves, um, yeah, and organise a big sort of conference or expo yeah. where everyone just gets together. It, we haven't done it yet, but we'd love to one day. It's on the bucket list. Oh, that sounds amazing. Would that be down in Melbourne? Uh, well, we were thinking Probably. National Roadshow. <laughs> <laughs> Dream big, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, everyone can benefit from that, that's for sure. <laughs> All righty, and if there was only one piece of advice um, that you could give parents today, what would it be? Um, one of my favourite things when I first meet a family to get them to go home and sort of practice is uh, when they're asking a question or trying to communicate or engage with their child, Give them time to process what you're saying before you ask it again. We see that happening a lot. So we do the, you know, count to 10 in your head rule. If you say, if you give them an instruction or ask them a question, count to 10 in your head before you ask it again because that's what's happening. There's so much information coming out these kids. Um, they need time to process it. So we need to know that they are having the time to process the information, not that they don't understand or they're not responding to the request. Mm. So practicing count to 10 in your head first. Yes, yeah. super important. Yeah. yeah. And my advice would just be to make sure that they think about how they're looking after themselves and um, what supports they have in place for their own sort of well-being. Um, we know that a lot of parents um, with kids um, with autism do have their own um, issues at some point along the way and there is a lot of high stress um, in that group. So I think it's really important for parents to make sure they don't neglect their own well-being. So whether that's just, um, you know, making sure they have a coffee date with a friend or um, linking in with a support group or um, even considering whether they might like to see someone like a psychologist just to talk through how their experience is of, um, you know, having a child with a diagnosis because, yeah, I think it's really imp important that they consider their own needs as well as those of their kids. Mm, it comes back to the old um, aeroplane oxygen mask analogy, doesn't it? Put on your oxygen mask before you help um, someone else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think particularly at the early days when when a parent just received a diagnosis, there's just so much information and different therapies and all this information online. And um, when I'm first work, starting to work with the family, I just like to try and really take it slow and check in with them regularly about where they're at with their thinking and feeling and make sure that we're considering the parents' well-being as well. Mm, yeah, so important. So where can our listeners find out more about you? Um, what's your website? Do you have any social media pages? Where do they go? Yep. Um, so the first place would be the website, I suppose, um, which is www.mydisability.com.au. And, again, it's disability with D-I-F-F as in differently abled. Um, and then from that, we've got our um, Instagram and Facebook pages linked. And, and as I said, we've also got a YouTube channel. Um, so if you look at some of our items, you'll see they have YouTube videos set up there. Yeah. Um, something else Wilbur, that we didn't mention that's really important is that we are registered for NDIS. Uh, so participants who have NDIS funding, we're starting to learn a little bit more about that now within Australia, how it's working and how to support families. So 
We wanted to put it out there that we are registered. We are learning to navigate around the system as families are too, so we can do that together with you. That's something you need help with because it's um, something that they're looking for that's not really very available at the moment. So we do provide that. Awesome. Great. Well, ladies, it's been amazing. I've learned heaps of little tips and tricks myself. So thank you so much for joining us today. And um, we'll see you later. Thanks, Rhiannon. Thanks, guys. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.